0: Hello there. Welcome to Bible study. As far as our TNT is concerned, we're certainly delighted and elated for all of you who have joined us at this time, and we want to continue our study in the letter to the church at Philippi, uh, Philippians chapter 3. Today we have slated to deal with verses 1 through 11. However, in my time of study, Uh, I have concluded that hopefully I will get through all of this, but if not, we will do what I call a part two on next week. So with that being said, let us go to the Lord in prayer as we prepare to study uh, for this time together. (laughs) God, we come and we say thank you. We bless and we praise your holy and your righteous name, and we pray that right now you, the master teacher, will show up teach us your precepts, let your word be a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our pathway. God, if you would, show yourself mighty and show yourself strong in this particular moment so that we can glean and learn and apply the things that we will be exposed to as far as this time of teaching is concerned. It is in the name of your son, Jesus Christ, we pray, and in his name we claim it done. Amen. 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 Today I want to talk about um, from this thought, uh, when your loss is really a gain. When your loss is really a gain. That's kinda what I want to frame the conversation that we're going to have as far as today is concerned. Um, When your loss is really a gain. And I want you to understand that the Apostle Paul, as he writes to this church at Philippi, is doing some interesting things as far as his time of uh, letter writing is concerned. It is a deep drill down on some of the controversial doctrinal issues that are going on at this time. And so as we unpack this particular pericope of Scripture, hopefully and prayerfully, it will give us the insight that we need to apply in 2020. So let's look at verses 1 through 6, as far as our time together is concerned, and let's, if I could, help us to do what I call the deep dive. Now, interestingly, as we go through this particular um, letter, and as I ask you to circle some things and highlight some things, and underline some things, um, let me share with you why I would have you to do this. This is kinda how I do my preliminary exegetical work. Whenever I have you to highlight something, it's so you can spot it real easily. Whenever I ask you to circle a word or a phrase, it is so eventually you can connect the dots. Usually when I ask you to circle something in my explanation I'm gonna really drill down either on that phrase or on that word. When I ask you to highlight something it's so you can see it easily. When I ask you to underline something it is because that's an important either phrase or scripture for you to have as far as your own personal study is concerned so that's what we're going to do and that's why I ask you to do those particular things and so as we prepare to do this particular study let's look at chapter 3 starting at verse 1 finally my brethren rejoice in the Lord highlight the phrase rejoice in the Lord for me to write the same things I want you to circle the word the same things for you is not tedious but for you is safe Verse 2 Beware of dogs, circle the word beware. Beware of evil workers, circle the word beware. Beware of the mutilation. Circle the word beware. Underline the word mutilation. And then draw connecting arrows to beware of dogs, beware of evil workers, beware of the mutilation. Draw connecting arrows to those three words of beware. Verse 3, for we are the circumcision, highlight the phrase, we are the circumcision, who worship God in the spirit. Underline the phrase, worship God in the spirit. Underline the phrase, rejoice in Christ, circle the word rejoice, draw a line from the word rejoice in verse 3 to rejoice in verse 1. and have no confidence in the flesh i want you to highlight the phrase confidence in the flesh verse four though i might also have confidence in the flesh highlight the word confidence in the flesh if anyone else thinks that he may have confidence in the flesh highlight the phrase confidence in the flesh i more so verse five circumcised on the eighth day of the stock of israel of the tribe of benjamin a Hebrew of the Hebrews, concerning the law of Pharisee, if you would underline that whole verse. This is Paul giving his fleshly or earthly credentials. Verse 6, concerning zeal, persecuting the church, concerning the righteousness, which is the law, blameless. Highlight that phrase. right, what I want to do is, perhaps for the time that is ours, I want to focus on these verses for today. And hopefully and prayerfully, um, if there is time, we may move into verse 7. But this is a lot for us to pack just for the time that is mine. So as we see what Paul is talking about as far as Philippians chapter 3, verses 1 through 6, in verses 1 through 3, Paul wants us to understand that when God comes into your life through Jesus Christ, there is a change that takes place. This change that takes place leads to us being transformed into the image of Christ. So in verse 1, let's look at this phrase. Finally, my brothers and sisters, that's what brethren mean, men and women, rejoice in the Lord. Paul is telling the Saints of Philippi to rejoice. Now, one thing or one word that really sticks out in this first verse is the word finally. Now, for us in 2020, the word finally means that you are wrapping something up, okay, that you're getting ready to close something out, that this is it. But this is not what Paul means in this particular rendering. Really what Paul is saying is, I'm getting ready to go a little bit deeper. I'm making a shift as far as what I've talked about in chapters 1 and 2. And I'm going to go a little bit deeper. In other words, the first two chapters of this letter is half of what Paul had to say. And for the Philippians, because they miss Paul so much, the longer the letter, the better for them. They miss Paul. They wanted to hear as much... From him as possible. So this is why Paul says. Finally he is letting them know. I'm getting ready to drop some more things on you. Let's lift up this phrase. Rejoice in the Lord. Now remember. When we talked about last time. We talked about Paul. Sending his brother in the ministry. Epaphroditus. Back to Philippi. Because he was homesick. And because he had been sick. And because he missed his family and friends back in Philippi. So when Epaphroditus gets back, Paul knows that he's going to share with the Philippians what was going on with Paul. How he was jailed in Rome. How he had to have 24-hour watch as far as the soldiers or the jailers were concerned. How the guards would change their posts every four hours. Paul was waiting to see what was gonna happen to him as far as a hearing before the Roman tribunal so Paul is really stuck he is stuck but he tells the Christians at Philippi to rejoice now how are they to rejoice knowing that their leader the one they helped to establish them was in jail very simple Paul's situation was uncertain but Paul's savior remained the same. All right, It may have been bad news from Rome but Paul always had good news on high. When you and I are focused on Jesus Christ and Jesus' sustaining capacity for us regardless of our situation it empowers us to face whatever negativity we are dealing with. All right? So, this is why Paul tells them to rejoice because Paul is basically saying, regardless of what happens, I'm going to be okay. Now, let's look at something else here. Because notice Paul says, For me to write the same thing to you is not tedious, but for you it is safe. Paul is letting them know, I'm getting ready to repeat some things you have heard before. Okay, I'm not getting ready to tell you anything new. I'm getting ready to do a repeat. And why is that? Because most of the time, people don't get it on the first hearing. Okay, so there is benefit in repeating something. And I've discovered that as a pastor and even as a student of the word, that a lot of times we don't get it on the first go around that you have to say something over and over and over and over and over again as a matter of fact when you have a bible teaching bible believing bible practicing church oftentimes you will hear succeeding pastors repeat the same thing their predecessors said Especially if they're in the Word. So interestingly, a lot of the things that I have shared with the disciples at the St. Paul Church, they heard it from a Dr. Drummond. They heard it from Dr. Moss. They're now hearing it from me. It is a repeat. Okay, It ain't nothing new. Why? Because we're pulling it from the Word of God. We do not make up new doctrines, or new formulas, or new creeds, or new traditions, we pull it from the Word of God. The interesting thing is, is that I have deacons, 16 um, people that are in training to become deacons here at St. Paul, 16 people that are in training to become deacons, and I am taking them for their first phase of teaching back through Christian education orientation. Why? Because interestingly, as I take them back through that, they are being rehashed as far as what has been taught before. But now they understand it better because I'm able to open it up and to take them deeper. All right. So there's nothing wrong with repeating, especially a teaching over and over until the students get it. The more you hear something, the more you see something, the easier it is to remember. This is how scriptures are memorized. For me, this is how I'm able to say the 23rd Psalm and the 27th Psalm and the 1st Psalm and quote other scriptures. Why? Because I've been saying them over and over and over and over again. The more you say something over and over, the more you see something. It is easy to memorize and it's easy to repeat. Now, I want you to understand something because I'm getting ready to drop something on you. That when it comes to memorizing, for example, scriptures or memorizing the Bible, you just can't think about it. You need to say it out loud. Okay? You need to read it out loud. All right? Blessed is the man who walketh not in the way of the... Uh, Ungodly, nor sit in the seat of the scornful, but his delight is in the law of the Lord; in that law doth he meditate day and night. That's from Psalms one. That word meditate literally means to ruminate, or like a cow, chew the cud, spit it out, and chew it again. So basically, what we're called to do is to what chew on the word of God over and over and over and over again until we're able to digest it. Okay, So, this is how scriptures are memorized. You don't memorize the scripture unless you have a photographic memory. You don't memorize the scriptures just on one reading and not say it out loud. You got to say it out loud because, again, faith comes by what? Hearing and hearing what? The Word of God. All right, let's move on. So, remember, Paul is saying, I'm giving you some stuff. It's not anything new. This is some stuff I've shared with you before. I'm sharing it with you again. Why? Because you need it. Then Paul tells them to beware of dogs, beware of evildoers, beware of the mutilation. Now, check this out there's a famous sermon that was preached back in the 80s by dr b w smith entitled watch them dogs and it's so funny because within the african-american context there's a whole lot of folks that try to preach that sermon and they basically take his sermon and they re-preach it but he had a sermon entitled watch them dogs he pulls it from this text now let me help you understand what is going on at this time Paul tells them to watch them dogs. In other words, look out for religious scam artists who find their way into the congregation of God, into the congregation of the saints. Now, whenever you see the word dog in the Bible, it is not not a nice word. It has a negative meaning to it. Because back then, dogs were considered to be unclean animals that roamed in packs like wolves. Even when Jesus referred to the concept of dog, he was addressing a woman, and he basically called her a dog. And the woman retorted, well, even the dogs deserve or desire the crumbs from the table of the master. And Jesus said, oh, my sister, your faith has made you whole. Listen, go and handle your stuff. So, so the concept of dog wasn't a good thing back then. So what, why does Paul use this term? Because Paul is referring to a group of people who insisted on legalism in order to become a Christian. They were called the Judaizers, J-U-D-A-I-Z-E-R. And the Judaizers were infiltrating... The churches of Asia Minor telling them that in order to be saved they had to keep a bunch of rules and regulations this was contradicting what Paul had taught them because Paul wanted them to understand that their salvation was not based on a bunch of rules but on a relationship with God by confessing their faith in Jesus Christ so the Judaizers were coming into the congregation making a bunch of noise just like dogs barking loud and showing their teeth so if a dog barks loud then basically the dog is raising hell <laughs> this leads to the next point where Paul says watch out for evil workers Now. I want you to understand that when he used the word evil workers in this context, he is not talking about the evil people of the world or the culture. He's talking about evil people in the congregation. Because in the congregation, unfortunately, there were crooked, depraved, and bad people. There were false teachers who behaved like Christians at the church, but they were wicked outside the church and in their private space. Okay? Guess what? We have the same thing in 2020. We have the same thing in our local congregations. People who look like Christians in the church, but in their home life or in their private space, they do not resemble Christ. Oh, when we were meeting as a congregation. You probably had these folks that would come to church dressed in their finest. They would lift their hands in praise. They would dance and shout up and down the aisle. They would holler glory to God and then cuss you out on the parking lot. Evil, crooked, depraved. All right. False teachers behaving like Christians at church, but evil in their private space. Paul was saying, Watch out for these, quote, hellraisers. <laughs> now, there's another word that I really want you to hone in on because Paul says also, Beware of the mutilation. Now, I ask you all to underline that word mutilation because the verb form of this word mutilation is used twice. In the Old Testament, this this word deals with the cutting of the flesh that was practiced by heathens or pagans. In other words, during the time of the Old Testament and even during the time of Paul, in the worship of idol gods, there were people who would cut themselves. To prove their worthiness to their idol gods And allow for their blood to flow To show that they were committed to these idol gods So Paul was saying Watch out for that mutilation Then Paul makes the connection To the Jewish understanding of circumcision Because Paul was letting them know that the Jewish practice of circumcision in order to have a relationship with God through Jesus Christ was equivalent to mutilation. So Paul was letting them know that circumcision of the flesh was nothing more than mutilation, and that the new covenant that God had established through the death of Jesus Christ, through the shedding of of the blood of Jesus at Calvary made the practice of circumcision obsolete. It was null and void. They did not have to do that anymore in order to have a relationship with Jesus Christ. Okay? All right. Now, let's drill down because what Paul wants to do now is really help the Philippians understand why circumcision is no longer needed because in the Old Testament um, and in Paul's day all the Jewish males were circumcised on the 8th day after their birth it was a sign Of the covenant with Abraham it was a sign that they were followers of Judaism it was a sign that they were connected to the nation Israel all right that being circumcised on the eighth day was the physical expression that we are sons of the covenant Now, it's interesting to note that this only applied to the men, not the women. So how do the women become part of the covenant? Because guess what? In all reality, they have no anatomical protrusion several inches below their navel to be circumcised. You will catch that a little bit later when you think about what I just said. (laughs) All right? So, so circumcision was a sign that I am in covenant with God that Abraham is my father now here's here's the crazy thing because at least after the eighth day of your birth you ain't gonna remember being circumcised however any adult check this out that wanted to become a practice wanted to, to become a practitioner of Judaism had to be circumcised. Now, I don't know about y'all, but I will say that being circumcised on the eighth day sounds a lot more tolerable than being circumcised at 15, 20, or 30. I'm just saying. Okay? So The act of circumcision is what distinguished the Jew from the Gentile. And according to those who practiced Judaism during that particular time, Gentiles were considered to be outside of the love of God. Now, it's interesting to note that. The Jews use circumcision to boast about their relationship with Abraham and God. Now, I, 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 I want I want I want I want that to just sit there for a moment, and I want you to just think about the act of circumcision, the act of cutting skin off a sexual organ was used to boast about their relationship with Abraham and God but Paul was telling them you don't need to go through circumcision to have a relationship with God hallelujah You don't need to go through circumcision to have a relationship with God. Notice he says, for we are circumcision who worship God in the spirit, rejoice in Christ, and have, watch this, no confidence in the flesh. Cutting the flesh, being circumcised, does not save you. Faith in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior does that. Because the real worship takes place is when your heart, not your sexual organ, has been circumcised. And when your heart has been circumcised, you're able to worship God in the spirit because you no longer place confidence in your flesh. So watch this. So it ain't the circumcision of the sexual organ. It is the circumcision of your heart or your spirit. Cutting the flesh ain't going to do it. Faith in Christ is what makes this a working reality. So let's drill down even further as we look at verses 4 through 6. Verse 4 Though I might have. Have confidence in the flesh. If anyone thinks that he may have confidence in the flesh, I more so. Paul wants us to understand that we cannot earn God's favor through human actions, we cannot get God's love through the deeds of the flesh. All of our rituals, all of our ceremonies, all of our celebrations. Do not make us right with God. Now. The Jews did this to elevate. The Pharisees and the other Jews. Above everyone else. So the Pharisees. Felt that if they kept the law. And you got to understand there were over 600 something laws. That they were expected to keep. Those laws are divided In really three categories ceremonial, religious, and moral. All right? You got over 600 something laws that they were expected to keep. And it was the understanding that if you broke one of those 600 plus laws, you really broke the whole law. So there's really no one perfect. Now they had laws that was based on what you eat, what type of clothing you wore. uh, uh, um, um, how you? Of course, the Ten Commandments, better known as the Decalogue, that was our interaction with God as well as our interaction with one another. But I mean, they had laws to even how you wash your hands. Okay, they 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 had laws on on the fact uh, how many times you can have sex with your your spouse. They had laws based upon for the woman. That she was considered unclean after she had her menstruation. How many days she had to remain separated from the family uh, before she could come back to be a part of the family? I mean, they had crazy laws. They had laws about what you could eat, and and guess what? If we now, I know I'm getting ready to mess with somebody. If we were to apply their laws, because you know we talked about we're trying to keep the whole Bible. And, you know, we got folks who talk about, you know, I keep the whole word of the law, the whole Bible. Then basically that also should dictate to us today because we don't do the proper interpretative work. That what winds up happening because we don't do the proper interpretation work, we fail to understand how to properly apply the word of God. So you want to talk about you want to keep the whole word of God? Then guess what? If you eat shrimp, stop it. If you like lobster, stop it. Can't eat lobster. Oh God, if you like bacon, you better not eat any bacon. Or ribs. Especially baby back ribs. Or chitterlings. Can't eat. No, no, because that's swine. You can't be wearing mixed garments. I would be totally out of order because I got on polyester and cotton. Okay? All right. Have y'all ever thought about that? Have you ever thought about that? You, You know, this is where it means to properly interpret the Word of God as well as apply the Word of God. And so Paul is basically saying, listen, all of our rituals, all of our ceremonies, all of our celebrations do not make us right with God. And instead of us becoming right with God, we engage in self-righteousness. And self-righteousness is when we elevate ourselves above others. It reminds me of the story that Jesus told about a Pharisee and a publican that were in the temple. And the Pharisee, comes and he places his altar, and he says places his gift on the altar, and he says, in his prayer to God, God, I want to thank you that I fast, that I pray, that I give my tithe, that I'm not like other sinners, that I'm not like this publican. And the publican, better known as the tax collector, basically says, Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner. And then Jesus raised the question, whose prayer do you think was heard? Okay, self-righteous prayers may be heard, but there's no response. Because God hears all our prayers. But when Jesus uses the word heard, he's really referring to who do you think God answered the prayer of? All right. Religious self-religious practices can lead to self-righteousness. And guess what? we do it in the church today. How do we do that? Real easy. Let me give you an example. There are folks who make the claim, "I've been a part of the St. Paul Church for 50 years." Whoop-de-doo. Do you know Jesus? Because being a part of a local congregation does not mean you know Jesus. I served as an usher. I pay my tithes and offerings. I come to, I go to virtual Bible study. I go to virtual worship. Fine. Cool. Do you know Jesus? Okay. Just because you give your tithes and offerings, just because you attend virtual worship in these times, just because uh, you participate in a mission or a ministry, if you're doing that to elevate yourself, it is self-righteous. Now the reason that Paul is able to write About this confidence in the flesh Is because Paul had done it himself Paul was keenly aware Of what self-righteousness looks like Remember Before Paul becomes An apostle of Jesus Christ He was an antagonist of Jesus Christ He tried to destroy the early church because he did not believe that Jesus Christ his dying on the cross broke down the separation between God and humanity for for Paul prior to his encounter with Jesus on the road to Damascus did not think Jesus was the way to God and so he was doing everything that he could to destroy the church because he thought That in his destroying the church, he was doing the will of God. All right? This was his mindset until he had a direct encounter with Jesus Christ on that dusty road to Damascus. And we all know what happened as far as that was concerned. He was on his way to persecute the Christians at Damascus. And he had an encounter with, with God through... Jesus Christ, and in that encounter, Jesus interrogated him, blinded him, and he had to go and sit in a place and wait for a disciple by the name of Ananias to come and teach him about who Jesus Christ really is. And the Bible says that after that teaching, the scales of blindness fell From Paul's eyes. And he made knowing Jesus Christ. The chief aim of his life. Okay. Now. This is what Paul means when he says. If anybody thinks that he may have confidence in the flesh. Hey it's me. It's me. It's me. Why? Because my background. My credentials. Are so deep. There are very few people who can compare to me. In other words, Paul said, I'm more qualified to say anything because of where I came from. If anyone was deserving to be on a special place based upon rituals and ceremonies, uh, Paul contend he would be number one on the list. As a matter of fact, if they had a top ten Jews of Jerusalem back in the day Paul would have been among the top ten. Okay? His religious resume outweighed those Judaizers who were saying that you had to be circumcised. That's why Paul said I could do more than what they're trying to tell you. Why? Because my credentials my credentials verify who I am. All right. So watch this. So Paul really in a sense kind of acts like Jesus. Because Jesus had a way of putting the Pharisees in check. With his words and his deeds. Every time the Pharisees try to put Jesus in the trick bag. He always used the law. And then properly applied the law and made the Pharisees mad. And the reason he made the Pharisees mad because they knew in their heart of hearts he was right. Okay? Now, just think about it. There's an instance in Jesus' ministry. One of the things that come to my mind is the woman that was caught. And the Bible says in the King James Version, in the very act of adultery. (laughs) And they brought her to Jesus. And the Pharisees says, the law of Moses says she should be stoned. What do you say? They were trying to put Jesus in a trick bag. And the Bible says Jesus started writing in in dirt. And then Jesus uttered these famous words that we love to say, but we misapply. He among you without sin, throw the first rock among you without sin cast first stone and the Bible says that they all drop their rocks from the oldest to the youngest and then Jesus looks up looks at the woman asks her where are your accusers she says they're not here in so many words Jesus says, well I don't accuse you either go and don't do this again Jesus did not condemn her, but he did not condone her either. Did you hear what I just said? Jesus did not condemn her, but he did not condone her as well. Paul kind of had that same germ in him of telling the truth and keep on moving. And he used to tick Pharisees and Judaizers off just like Jesus the pharisees could not handle jesus because jesus was wiser than they were because he was god in the flesh the same thing applies to paul paul knew that as this letter was being read his teachings were going to mess some people up especially when he called them dogs and evil doers and heathens and told them to beware of the mutilation. All right. Now, some of the Judaizers that were trying to teach circumcision had gone through this tortuous act themselves. Okay. Paul had engaged in the rite of circumcision as a baby. Notice his credentials, verse 5. Circumcised on the eighth day. Of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, the Hebrew of the Hebrews, concerning the law, a Pharisee. Paul was saying, Listen, I was circumcised on the eighth day after I was born, that identified me, that makes me Jewish. Paul could have boasted about who he was from a ritualistic, legalistic perspective. Now, check this out, because remember, Jesus did the same thing Jesus was a Jew Jesus was circumcised On the 8th day after his birth All you got to do is go back and read In the gospels Particularly in the gospel of Luke Where it talks about how Jesus was taken to the temple You can read that also in Matthew How Jesus was taken to the temple And how he was circumcised On the 8th day So Jesus submitted to the rules Of the Abrahamic covenant By being circumcised now, since Paul was being received by the Philippians, I can imagine those Judaizers who were pushing circumcision, and particularly Paul's circumcision, used this as an argument point. They probably said, Well, wait a minute. Y'all got to be circumcised because Jesus was circumcised. And even Paul was circumcised. That's why you need to be circumcised. But what they failed to understand is that the death of Jesus Christ on a hill called Calvary. Did away with the circumcision Because all the law was fulfilled In Jesus Christ Let me say that again The law was fulfilled The law was made whole In Jesus Christ Now He talks about how he was circumcised On the eighth day He also talks about how he is affiliated with the stock of God's chosen people he was an Israelite he was part of the nation of Israel this Israel was the apple of God's eye they were the chosen people they were the covenant people their relationship was so special that a covenant between God and them existed Paul also boasted about the tribe that he came from he said listen not only Am I from the stock of Israel? I'm from the tribe of Benjamin. The tribe of Benjamin was considered to be the smallest out of all the 12 tribes of Israel. But what's significant about the tribe of Benjamin? Here is the significance the first king of Israel, Saul, comes from the tribe of Benjamin. All right? Now we know Saul wasn't that great of a king, but he does have the reputation. Of being the first king of Israel. He wasn't the greatest. He did some stupid stuff, and the Lord withdrew his anointing from Saul, but he was considered to be the first king of Israel. All right? He was considered to be the first king of Israel. So Paul was able to boast about coming from the tribe, the nation of Israel. He came from the tribe of Benjamin. From which the first king of Israel emerged, both his parents were Jewish, a Hebrew of the Hebrews. Okay, they were not Jewish-Greek mix. Both his mama and his daddy were Jewish. Okay, there there is none of this mixing. He is not like the Samaritans. He is a proud Jew. All right. He, he is rooted and grounded in the traditions of Jewish religious orthodoxy. He, he was well familiar with the Torah. He knew the historical books. He knew the law. He, he's well acquainted with that. He is grounded in the religious traditions of Jewish orthodoxy. He also claims to be part of a special ruling class when he says concerning the law watch this a Pharisee he is saying listen I, 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 I know the law backwards and forwards I know the law backwards and forwards because I was taught by the best teacher of my day Gamaliel alright I, I was a Pharisee among Pharisees. as a matter of fact I was on track to become a chief Pharisee all right. And, and, and I was so Pharisee that I did not mingle with people who did not observe the law as strict as I did. Okay. I, I, listen, I, I was so on track that if I had maintained my previous position, I probably would have become head of the Sanhedrin Council one day. That, that's, how, that's how sharp. Paul was. It's it's like some folks today. You think nothing wrong with seminary. I encourage folks to go to seminary, but just because you go to seminary doesn't necessarily make you right with God. You can have all the intellect, have all the knowledge, and still be clueless about God. Alright? Let's pick up in verse six, and I think I'll end it there for today. Paul says, concerning zeal, that word zeal means enthusiasm, persecuting the church. Paul said, Listen, I was so much a Hebrew, I was so much a Pharisee, I had so much self righteousness that I was enthused, I was excited. To persecute the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. As a matter of fact, I was there when st- Stephen was stoned. I was holding the coats of other folks that were throwing the rocks. I was kind of an accessory to his murder. And, and I became so enthused that I started hunting down Christians myself. Word zeal. Now you know what? Enthusiasm is a wonderful thing, but enthusiasm without proper knowledge and application leads to some destruction. And negativity. And unfortunately there are folks who have a whole lot of enthusiasm. But they ain't got no knowledge. Paul writes in Romans. For they have a zeal but not according to the knowledge of God. Which means I don't care how much excitement you have. If your excitement is not seasoned with knowledge. You gonna do some crazy ignorant destructive stuff in the name of God. and we see this happening in today's culture we see it happening in today's society we see it happening with the religious elite they have a zeal but not according to knowledge they have a zeal but not according to knowledge notice what Paul says concerning the righteousness which is the law blameless Paul is saying, listen, I persecuted the church because I was doing it based upon what I understood about the law. And I felt that it was my mission to destroy the church. And I was so committed to that, that I was sincere about keeping the law of God to the best of my ability. And that in my persecuting the church, I felt like I was doing God a favor. Why? Because I was righteous. I was considered blameless i wasn't a phony jew i kept the sabbath the way it was supposed to be kept i gave my tithes and offerings i prayed at the right time i fasted i gave alms to the poor i wasn't a phony jew i knew who i was and i did what i did based upon my understanding of the law Did what I did based upon my interpretation of the law. Because there's no way this Jesus character can be what these Christians are saying that he is. And so my persecution of the church was based out of, watch this oxymoronic word, this oxymoronic phrase I'm getting ready to say, righteous ignorance. I thought I was doing the right thing, but I had dumb reasons. (laughs) I was doing the right thing, but I had dumb reasons. I was ignorant about who Jesus was. And in my ignorance, I was persecuting the church. I had a zeal. I had excitement. I had enthusiasm. But it was based upon ignorance and my ignorance caused a lot of people to get hurt my ignorance brought a lot of pain to the church of Jesus Christ so guess what there has to be there has to be a balance between zeal excitement enthusiasm and knowledge. First Peter, I believe it's three and eighteen, tells us. Is he first Peter or second Peter? That says we ought to grow in the grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ. Notice what it says grace, God's merit, favor, and knowledge of Jesus Christ. Listen, let me stop there um, uh, for the time that is ours, cause. Um, yeah, my time has run out. So next week we'll pick up from verses 7 through 11. And we'll really do a deeper dive as far as that's concerned. It is my prayer that this has been helpful and, and insightful as far as our time is concerned. Before we close, I want to see, do we have any questions that anyone may have for us online uh, for me to, to answer? Any questions? Any questions? All right, it seems if not, there aren't any questions as far as uh, today's learning is concerned. We will pick up next week at verse 7 through verse 11 and um, and unpack that in a very meaningful and hopefully and prayerfully powerful way. Well, as we get ready to close out. I want to to thank each and every one of you for joining us as far as Bible study is concerned. And as we get ready to go into uh, a moment of prayer, um, soon um, uh, I'm going to ask that you all will lift up Dr. Monica Redmond in prayer as she is dealing with the death of her father. His services will be tomorrow at 11 o'clock in Columbia, South Carolina. If you want to um, be a blessing to Dr. Redmond in her time of grief, you can send a card here to the church. We will make sure she gets it. You Send a card to the church. But we want to definitely um, pray for her. She lost her father and her uncle on the same day this past Sunday. We also want to lift up the Barnett brothers who are part of our congregation in the loss of their brother. We also want to lift up the family of Brother Randy Fair. Uh, These are persons who have lost loved ones. Uh, Brother Randy Fair, one of our disciples who was part of our health ministry, has also died. And uh, information as far as his services are pending. So, if we could, let's go to the Lord in prayer at this particular time. God, we come to you because we realize after all is said and done, we need you and we need your presence. For the names and the various situations that have been lifted before you, particularly those who have lost loved ones, as far as death is concerned, send your spirit to give comfort. God, I pray that you would bless each and every person that has tuned in to this teaching. I pray that they have gotten what they need to be better disciples for thee. I pray, O God, that we would take this word and apply it not only to our hearts and our minds, but to our lives, so that we can let our light so shine before others, that they may see our good works and yet glorify you, because it. Is of you. God, we pray for those who are dealing with sickness. We pray that you will heal as your sovereign will desires. For those that are going through difficulty right now, we pray that you will give them the hope, the help that they need to make the shift that is necessary to emerge out of their condition. God, we pray for this church, its staff, its leaders, the ministers, that we will continue to be your beacon of hope and healing and help in times like these. Continue to show yourself mighty and strong, O God, in our lives. Now, God, as we leave from this Bible study, but never from your presence, keep us in your sovereign care. Until we're able to come together, either virtually and one day in the near future, physically. In Jesus' name, we pray. Amen. God bless you all. I love you all. May heaven smile upon you. And may the peace of God be yours.